1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order.
0: That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to CanadaLand.com/slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than two hundred thousand Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a twenty-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash Canada Land to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash Canada Land.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan McMahon, sitting in for Jesse Brown this week. Joining me on the show is award-winning photojournalist Amber Bracken. Welcome to Shortcuts, Amber.
2: Thanks for having me, Ryan.
1: The RCMP makes doing journalism difficult again. We look at what's happening at BC's Ferry Creek and how it compares to its sueton. And American pundit Rick Santorum gets fired from CNN for being a white supremacist dickhole. Why don't white supremacist holes get fired in Canada? Amber, do you have an answer to that question?
2: There's way too much to unpack here.
1: Well, we'll get into it a little bit later on in the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to everyone in part by Joanne Jarvis, Jamie Broadhurst, Jackson Dagger, Sherry Little, Zach Anderson, Judy Haven, Michelle Bartleman, and Eric Pierce. Hi, my name is Eric Pierce. I live in Toronto. I'm a project manager. I supported Canada Land for a little while, but I was pushed to up my pledge after Canada Land's investigation of the We charity. As someone who worked in nonprofits and charities, I really appreciated someone
2: taking a closer look at them.
1: Right, Amber, this past week, anti logging protests out of BC caught this show's attention when a CBC freelancer was caught on camera joking with an RCMP officer about police brutality against protesters.
0: Is it RCMP already up there in force? Like yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Okay. I would use the word enforced. <laughs> <laughs> are they brutalizing like,
1: innocent <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, so we are being very nice. The CBC freelancer is making a joke about whether the RCMP was out in, quote, in force against the protesters trying to stop the Teal Jones Cedar Company from their logging activities in the territory. Um, did you see the video and what did you
2: make of it? I did see the video. I I mean, what can you make out of it? It's It's horrific. It's showing this freelancer basically being chummy and trying to connect with the RCMP officer. By dehumanizing the people on the on the blockade, you know, I don't really have anything else to say about it except it's it's pretty pretty horrific and pretty telling.
1: I, I did see some conversation on Twitter about, you know, the fact that yes, you know, he, he seemed to be chummy in a way that um, was unsettling. I did see someone say though that often a way into access on the front lines of these things is to befriend or to be uh, comfortable and chummy uh, with those on the other side. You've been on the front lines of various uh, protestations and and people's movements. Is this an accurate sort of depiction?
2: Look, whatever you're trying to do, I don't care if it's on a front line or in a boardroom or online, you get farther by not being an asshole. So, of course, I go, don't go out of my way to be confrontational with police. But I think that that's a far cry from having to dehumanize people and to make light of a historical generational trauma against an entire population. So, no, you don't have to crack jokes about brutalizing Indigenous children to, to get what you need from police officers. That's, that's completely unnecessary.
1: Now, Amber, we should... Sort of preface this by saying the context that that you 're sort of uh, answering these questions from is having witnessed uh, this type of violence, and so i mean it 's got to be duly uh, disappointing a to see another uh, instance of of uh, mass arrest and everything else, but b to see to see someone in uh, the journalism space making these kinds of jokes. Can you just reflect on what it 's like to to be on the ground? Uh, covering these issues and and why this this sort of joke and this the, the flattery towards the police is is so upsetting for you?
2: As we know, legacy media or large M media has a lot of work left to do when it comes to regaining the trust of marginalized communities. Um, and when we when we catch somebody quote unquote when we see behind the scenes and and we get this really ugly view of somebody as I say, dehumanizing the population that they're supposed to be covering, I mean, that just explodes my trust in their ability to share their story or to be a trustworthy conduit for those stories. I don't trust any of the decisions that they're making on the ground after that point. I don't trust the questions that they're asking. I don't trust the emphasis that they're going to give to different things that are happening in this highly charged situation that literally affects people's lives, and can be life-threatening. I would say that this is really, really highly charged, really highly fraught situations, and I wanna be able to trust the person who's bringing me that information. When this person goes out of their way to tell me that they don't care about the humans that they're going to report on, how am I supposed to move forward with that? How am I supposed to trust that, that messenger?
1: We should provide a little bit more context uh, for listeners. Uh, land defenders ha- have been camped out and staged uh, several blockades in the forest two hours west of Victoria. Uh, some saying that it is home to the last unprotected intact old growth forest on uh, the south end of Vancouver Island, and as of Wednesday morning, protesters say that there have been over a hundred total arrests. Uh, police numbers are a bit different, saying that only fifty-three people have been arrested, um, and and some were arrested for for literally living in the trees uh, as as a way to stop the company from 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 cutting them and, and killing them. The land offenders are saying that that logging is still happening. Uh, in the area. We should also say that CBC British Columbia has responded uh, to the video and uh, issued this statement regarding a video circulating on social media at the Ferry Creek blockade and RCMP arrest in BC. CBC confirms the person in the video is a freelancer hired by us and we will not engage his services in the future. We apologize for the insensitive comments. They do not reflect our values or our journalistic standards and practices. As the public broadcaster, we must do better for our audience and our staff. Now, it seems like the coverage this week uh, has really focused on on the arrests, right? Like the the confrontations that happen. But what we don't often get a chance to read about is why the old growth forest itself. Is important right we the coverage focuses on legalities injunctions again the flare-ups here are some of the headlines that ran uh, CBC British Columbia ran more arrests Monday at old growth logging blockades on Vancouver Island Uh, Global runs via Canadian press wire. RCMP arrests five more at BC anti-logging protest. CTV Vancouver Island runs anti-logging protests. No arrests Sunday, fewer than previously reported on Saturday, police say. Uh, The Toronto Star runs RCMP begin crackdown on Ferry Creek blockade. And I guess arrests are newsworthy for some. And, you know, someone in in a newsroom deems those to be important. But it's always devoid of the context of why people are there stopping the clear cutting in the first place. Amber, what are we getting right? And what are we getting wrong in this coverage about these types of events?
2: Well, I mean, in general, I think the coverage should start well before the so-called event. I mean, by the time you're getting to arrest, you're at the pinnacle, right? You're at the the most dramatic part, and I think that there's a there's a good reason why you know media cover it. it it's it, it's a it's a compelling story. There's a drama. There's a you know built-in kind of plot line where people who care deeply about something get dragged away, you know, by police. Right. So I understand why it happens, but I I mean I really do think it's a symptom of the erosion of of media, that we don't have local reporters, we don't have the resources. In many cases, we don't even have media organizations in BC being able to send people to be there on the ground as this is occurring, let alone as it was developing. So we're not investing in stories as they're occurring. So I think we're just coming to it way too late.
1: You know, I guess we're not brave enough in this country to talk about, you know, why old growth forests Uh, are important, right? Like the scientific research that shows old growth forests are massive storehouses for carbon and that the old growth (laughs) forests uh, do more work uh, sequestering carbon over the course of their lifetime. Those headlines maybe don't sell papers. And, (laughs) you know, if we start uh, in Canadian media, heaven forbid uh, that we actually start talking about the ideas and the hopes and the dreams of the people looking to stop old growth forest logging and why they feel so passionately. Like, it seems to me that we never actually have that conversation in mainstream media. Certainly, we see it happening in places like the Narwhal, the Tai, and others that will publish the data sets and the actual scientific evidence and proof. But we fall short in mainstream media. And that, that always seems to me to be the disconnect between, you know, Joe Canada and, and Indigenous people themselves who are often on the front lines uh, of these movements.
2: You're touching on a, a huge other issue, which is the, the fracturing of our of our media inputs, right? We're really not having the same conversations anymore because we don't actually have the same information. We can read whatever we want. We tend to read what we want to agree with. Your average news consumer is really not getting a lot of the context. A lot of it's missing, so... Is it any wonder that there's a massive political disconnect in this country?
1: Right, and it's it's very weird to assume that the average news reader has knowledge about this, and therefore you don't have to run it. Like I don't I don't know, but I, I don't know that much about biodiversity. And uh, for listeners, uh, full disclosure, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to read a little bit more about why this matters.
2: Fair enough. And I think that the other problem with the the lack of ongoing coverage and context is that. Um, not only is the average news consumer somewhat disconnected from the background or the context to why these news stories matter, but also that can expe- extend into newsrooms where you have editors and people making news coverage decisions who may not understand why something's important. When I was covering Standing Rock, and it was well into the occupation and the camp there. yeah, So it'd be about September of that year. And I was pitching it around and I was having a really hard time getting anyone to go with me to like take me on assignment or to take my work. And later I got insight from somebody who was sitting on an editorial board and my pitch came up in a meeting and they were able to tell me that basically the feedback was that it wasn't news and they didn't understand why it was important. Which at that point it was obvious that Standing Rock was a generational story and yet in the newsrooms that just wasn't percolating. It wasn't, it wasn't connecting.
1: Right, right. I, and I always find it odd when mainstream media does get brave and attempts to run like the, well, First Nations are divided and some want the logging and some don't. And in the Globe and Mail, they highlight how a First Nation wants logging in the territory with the headline, BC First Nation at Odds with Anti-Logging Protesters. They seem to be, you know, minor experts on treaty and First Nations jurisdiction when it suits the narrative and they pretend they're teasing out some sort of indigenous nationhood nuance (laughs) that they have access to. And so often they get that wrong. But yet, you know, we can't get into the the actual source of what is happening on the ground and what is actually wrong. And it's that people are trying to provide the biodiverse lands, territories, waters and airs uh, where they live. There's something else I wanted to talk to you about relative to this story. The CAJ, the Canadian Association of Journalists, is calling on the courts to limit the RCMP powers when granting injunctions. And I'm going to read from this call. And I quote, this call comes after the RCMP temporary blocked media access to the Ferry Creek watershed near Port Renfrew, BC, yesterday as police were set to enforce an injunction and remove demonstrators who've been blocking logging of an old growth forest since last summer. Now, the last time that the BC Resource News galvanized the country You yourself, Amber, were on the front lines uh, in Wet'suwet'en at uh, the blockade and the struggle against uh, the coastal gas link pipeline. And from my understanding, the RCMP was really making your job difficult. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about your experience therein and how difficult it is for you as a journalist when they're trying to prohibit media from monitoring their activities?
2: Well, I mean, I'm sure if you asked the RCMP, they wouldn't say that they are trying to prohibit media But functionally, on the ground, that's what happens. Two years in a row, I covered injunction enforcements in Wet'suwet'en territory in 2019 and then again in 2020. Both times, there was very broad exclusionary uh, zones. In a nutshell, an exclusion zone is whatever the police want it to be. It's a broad discretionary power that they have when enforcing injunctions to decide where they can literally exclude people from going. It's a tool that they use to, I suppose, maintain order, but in practice it's used to, you know, block off entire quadrants of territory that you would be completely unable to see or engage with. So for just a little bit of context, the Wet'suwet'en blockades and occupations are way up logging roads in rural, in a mountain community. So they're 44 and 66 kilometers up a logging road for context. Police can set up the exclusionary zone to start at three kilometers down that road. So at that point, you're, what, 40 kilometers, 60 kilometers away from what's happening? That's no way to report. At that point, you have no first-person witnesses of, of what's occurring between the and people and the RCMP. And that, to me, is completely unacceptable. Having experienced that in 2019, I knew that that was coming again in 2020. And I, I, I literally had to embed there for nearly a month, um, as soon as the injunction is enforceable, I pretty much had to stay there to ensure that I would be able to report the story as it unfolded.
1: Right. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, in this last year because of COVID, certainly we've stopped talking about what Suetin, the conversations around land back and what we were seeing at the end of 2019. While those conversations through the media have stopped, the people are still on the ground there.
2: Well, they live there. That's their home. That's where they live. Um, They were living there before the injunctions and they returned there as soon as they could after they were arrested and removed from their homes. You know, that's where they live.
1: Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. And I should say the conflicts that are happening there and are still happening. And so while we don't read about it in the papers and we don't hear about it on social media, these conflicts continue. Photojournalist Jesse Winter is currently out in the field for the Narwhal right now. Uh, He's also filed for the Globe and Mail, and he's covering uh, what's happening out at Ferry Creek. And did you catch his uh, Twitter thread? Uh, the other day?
2: Yeah, I saw it. And it actually surprised me uh, that he would go out of his way to say that things were reasonable. Yeah. But you know what? I wasn't there, so.
1: Well, it's it surprised me too. And we invited him onto the show and he wasn't able to come. We can really only go by uh, what we read on Twitter, but... He does reflect in this Twitter thread that things are improving. We'll link to the Twitter thread in the show notes for people that are curious. His final tweet in the thread says, I'm not shy about calling out police when they overstep or infringe our charter rights. There's still so much work to do to resolve issues around press access and freedom in Canada. But we should also acknowledge when things improve. And I saw that happen yesterday. So this is a tweet in a moment. But it is a pretty surprising tweet, given what we know and what Jesse's experience, certainly your experience, Amber, and and other people's experience. What did you think about when you read the tweets?
2: I mean, I believe in unfettered access. And what I've been hearing both from Jesse and also Jen Osborne, who's been out there covering, is a lot of well, a lot of fettering, you know, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. where they, they have media corrals, they have checkpoints. They're really being nannied yeah. when they're allowed to report at all. Um, so there was at least one or two days where they were excluded from the site entirely. And even on that tweet where he said that he had had a reasonably good experience covering the arrest with the RCMP, his update on that was that at the end of that day, he was ordered out of camp and not allowed to return until the next day, which to me, that's that's also not freedom of access. That's not freedom of reporting. But uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's a complicated issue because I know that Jesse has experienced some pretty extreme interactions with RCMP. You know, like yeah. during yeah. the Witsudin blockades or the Witsudin injunction enforcement, he was detained on a road for almost a whole day. So after he covered one set of arrests, they... Uh, Detained them in their vehicles and wouldn't let them leave the area. And I think he was dropped off in town um, several hours later, you know, kind of hungry and disoriented, which is pretty extreme.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I've been threatened with arrest. He's been threatened with arrest. So, you know, when the bar is very low, maybe things start to look less problematic. I
1: don't know. To bring this full circle about working with the RCMP where we started, how do you work with the RCMP on the ground? I'm really curious about that in terms of access. You know, do you have an editor working ahead of you, um, you know, trying to improve access, checking in on uh, the comms team with the RCMP to, to ensure that that access is free and unencumbered? Are you making those phone calls? What is a day... Typically, what is a day like for you to ensure your access and to, to know that you you do have free and unencumbered access to, to what is breaking on the ground?
2: Well, I mean, in terms of support, it all depends on which outlet you're working with. Of course, I'm independent, so that varies widely. I've had editors be very supportive in making those calls to uh, ensure that RCMP or police are aware that I am a professional journalist and that I'll be in the area and that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there on under good faith, I suppose. But I've also been completely on my own. I mean, it's helpful to call ahead, but really it doesn't matter what the media contact tells you, what the PR person just tells you, because what ultimately matters is what the officers on the ground decide. And particularly in enforcement or an action like this, they have a, a lot of discretionary powers. So that really, whatever they deem to be necessary for operational success, um, you know, within their, the parameters of what they're there to do, is completely allowed. So I guess I try to mostly stay out of their way, I suppose is, is really the, the strategy. Because legally I'm allowed to report whatever I, I can see as long as I'm not interfering. So I do my best to stay out of their way. Um, I try not to be noticed because I think as soon as you're noticed by RCMP, they're gonna do what they can to limit your access. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult thing to negotiate because ultimately they have all the power, 100% of the power. If they tell you to go stand in a, you know, two by two square, 200 meters down the road, then that's what you have to do. Or be subject to arrest and hope that somebody would have your back to challenge the low legal situation later.
1: Amber, once in a while the podcast... Gods, uh, if there is a God, uh, smile down upon us here at um, Canonaland, especially when I host. And as you were... Uh, Winding up that segment for us very eloquently and succinctly, we've received comment from C.A.J., a coalition of news organizations and press freedom groups, including the Canadian Association of Journalists, C.A.J., plan to file legal action to allow journalists substantive access to cover a demonstration against the logging of an old growth forest currently taking place in the Ferry Creek watershed near Port Renfrew, B.C., in addition to the CAJ, the coalition includes Ricochet Media, The Narwhal, Capital Daily, Canada's National Observer, APTN, The Discourse, and Indigenous. It seems significant.
2: Heck yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I would say the CAJ has definitely been leading the charge uh, in pushing back on the, these things. I have to point out. There's some pretty big names missing from this coalition. And I can't say what's happening behind the scenes, if they were invited or if they declined or or what the politics were behind the scenes, but where's the big names? Where's the legacy media? Why are they not speaking out?
1: Amber, I'm told you've listened to the show or that you're vaguely familiar with the show, so you know that there is a part in the show each and every week where we duly note stories that we want to amplify or maybe dig into critique uh, a little bit more. Uh, What do you have uh, for us uh, for duly noted?
2: Well, I can't help but notice that um, in the enforcement of the injunctions at Ferry Creek, there seems to be a notable absence of helicopters, semi-automatic rifles, militarized police, snipers, and other extraordinary measures of enforcement, uh, even though there's obvious parallels between what occurred at Witsuidan. So I'm not going to say why that might be, but I would like to duly note that there's a very different uh, methods being used for the Ferry Creek blockade versus the Witsuidan blockade.
1: Duly noted. I have one, Amber. I know Jesse Brown has quietly banned sports talk from the Canada land network (laughs) because he doesn't like sports but I I don't know if you follow sports John Tavares the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, captain was injured in a gruesome head injury uh, in the first game of their series and the Toronto Sun ran a headline that said captain crunched and the photo is John Tavares being held up by medical staff and trainers as he is in the uh, early first couple of seconds of a, of a gruesome head injury. I've watched sports my entire life and I've never seen anything like it. And and running the photo of his bloodied face, uh, him being assisted by medical staff with the headline reading Captain Crunched is not just trash, it's it's fucking trash. <laughs> and I have to say, this, this injury in particular, I think, goes well beyond sports. John Tavares is a father of a couple of small children. He has a wife and a family and fans that I think care a lot about him. And he's one of the good people in hockey. I cried when I watched the injury. And to see the headline run like that, uh, I wanted to say on this show unequivocally, fucking trash.
2: Look, we, we know now we're having much better conversations about the impacts of head injury. I don't think that any journalist or editorial team can pretend not to know how devastating these kinds of injuries can be. So duly noted.
0: Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month
1: from nothing i mean there's nothing here i mean yes we have native americans but there isn't much native american culture in american culture it it was born of the people who came here pursuing religious liberty to practice their faith to live as they ought to live and have the freedom to do so so that was former republican senator turned cnn pundit rick santorum giving a speech the fight for religious freedom by Young America's Foundation. Who, boy, um, yeah. Should we just, should we just end the show there and not do this, or do you want to dig in, Amber?
2: Uh, You know, we could just like throw a grenade and and walk away, (laughs) just burn it down.
1: Maybe a shot of bourbon and off we go. Uh, (laughs) First of all, Native Twitter, like any other hashtag meeting place on Twitter, is messy at the best of times, but sometimes it really shines. And, And this pushback against Rick Santorum was one of those moments where hashtag Native Twitter really, really was the star of the show. And it spurred a a petition for people to sign uh, to get him fired from CNN. And, you know, often petitions find their way to me. And uh, when I have the time and I believe in the thing, I sign it and share it and send it through my newsletter and get people on board. This one was a no brainer. And it found its way to Hollywood. Hollywood, if you can believe it. All of those A-listers that dipped into Standing Rock for hours at a time. And all of the A-listers that, that seem to have found a place in their heart for Native America, uh, all signed. And this is one of those moments where you remember, oh yeah, we can make a difference. Uh, Amber, had you seen this clip and had you seen this keynote speech at all? And if so, what was your reaction to it?
2: I mean, I don't know how to react to these things. It, it's, it's, it's almost like... You just are, are almost numb to it. It's so common these days. But it really is just a continuation of the erasure. I mean, and there's, there's part of you that, that can't help but feeling like, oh, whoops, they actually said it out loud. You know, all of their behaviors, all the actions demonstrate the same, the same worldview, right? So it's, it's almost just a surprise to, to catch them thinking it out loud.
1: Right and and this this is what I said too is like sometimes we just have to let people talk and then and then we know how they feel and then we get to deal with the truth and I know this is kind of an american story but canadians watch cnn i think probably it's fair to say uh, more Canadians watch CNN than leading news networks here in Canada. Like it's just, it's our neighbor to the South. Don Lemon is a hero to some, and it seems to be on in a lot of households. Never mind the fact that I think for most indigenous people, our proximity to the US Canada border and our own relationships with family members and whatnot, South of the medicine line kind of means that that border for me and for many others is, is kind of invisible, but we have our own versions of these people in Canada, but We never quite deal with them in this way. Um, I'll read you a few headlines, and and Amber, I'll let you guess who this may have came from. The truth about truth and reconciliation. It's shocking and dangerous that the final report of the TRC has been so widely accepted. I'll give you two guesses. You'll probably nail it on the first guess.
2: Conrad Black, (laughs) lightning (laughs) round. Ding,
1: ding, ding, ding. ding. (laughs) You win a reconciliation donut. Yes. (laughs) We have Conrad Black. We have the Jonathan Kays. I can't even believe I'm saying his name on this show. We have the Rex Murphys. We have people that will write similar types of pieces, but it seems like we never quite deal with them in this country. And there seems to be a lot of space for Conrad Black uh, every second week or so in the paper. Why is it that when our versions of Rick Santorum find their way to the pages of our media and to the, to the websites and to, to the broadcasts on Canadian media that we never deal with them in a similar way.
2: I think Canada has an image problem, and I would say we have a self-image problem. We have all been spoon-fed the narrative that we are comparatively the good guys. Everything that America has done historically is somehow worse than what Canada has done historically. Um, Everything that America is doing now is somehow worse than what what Canada is doing now. And I think that we just give everything a pass. I, I think that we cannot conceive that people here who have power might also have ill will or racist views. And I think that that puts us at a disadvantage for addressing it. We just want to get along, more or less. Or at least we think that that's what we want to do. We want to get along with everyone in, in, a, in the polite meaning of that word.
1: This happened to come at a time uh, in the United States where there's so much to celebrate. Rutherford Falls, the first Native sitcom on television that was written uh, by Native writers and starred Native writers and a Native showrunner. It's on TV, but we're talking about Rick Santorum. Marvel announced a new Captain America. He's indigenous. Uh, We're talking about Rick Santorum. Uh, Sterling Harjo series, Reservoir Dogs, produced with Taika Waititi, uh, coming to FX Networks, being shot right now, and we're talking about Rick Santorum. It seems like part of any sort of level of indigenous visibility and success conveniently gets derailed and disrupted by this type of bullshit. And, and it happens over and over again. And then Indigenous people themselves, we have to stay engaged, right? We have to be a part of the conversation. We have to clap back. And, you know, many of the stars in Rutherford Falls are from Canada. And so we're paying attention. Rutherford Falls came up to Canada. We're all watching it. And so th- this idea of the border and, and us not being a part of the conversation just isn't true. So when these things happen, you know, as Indigenous people, we make these decisions to, like, fight you know, the good fight. And what do you think it's going to take um, to get more people, I I guess, namely white people, to call out other white people so that we can have a moment in the sun every once in a while? Do you think that's the pathway (laughs) to to success for us as Indigenous folks? Please tell me that's the case.
2: (laughs) That there's a moment in the sun? I I sure hope so. (laughs) Well,
1: what might it take in the Canadian context you know, to suss out and deal with our own versions of, of Rick Santorum? What 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 might we imagine? I mean, we have the example of Don Cherry who was taken off television for his racist views. What do you think it'll take for us to deal with the Rick Santorums of, of Canada?
2: Well, I think you've already touched on it. We collectively, and by collectively, I mean the majority of people, and by the majority of people, I mean... The white people in Canada need to address the racism that's here and accept it. I mean, we really need to see it because if you can't see it, then you can't act on it. And you can dismiss the ramblings of people like Don Cherry as, you know, semi-senile. You can give him the benefit of the doubt. You can make excuses. But if you see the racism, then you have to do something about it. That's the thing.
1: Right. You know, it seems to me that Canadian conservatives are just slightly more polite about their racism. Would that be accurate? And so, therefore, it's harder for us to kind of uh, see it at the surface.
2: Yeah, I just wouldn't I wouldn't limit that just to conservatives. I would say that Canadians in general are more polite in their racism and nice. You know, you can be nice (laughs) (laughs) But we just, we don't, we don't see it. We don't acknowledge it. Um, we use really nice language and it's a little less shocking. And I think that on top of that, we have a, a news cycle that's a little less polarized. So it's a little bit less of the outrage machine than, than America has built in. So terrible things can happen, but we're not quite as programmed to, to jump to attention, you know, um, in the same way that that things get bandied back and forth between the left and the right in the United States.
1: Right. Well, it seems to me nice racism is a great place to end this show. Canada, listeners, all of you nice racists out there, (laughs) thank you. that's shortcuts this week you can email jesse about it at jesse at canadaland.com he reads everything you send we are on twitter at canadaland you can find me on twitter and instagram at rm comedy amber where can people find you
2: i'm on twitter at photobracken instagram same handle i don't know what else do i say What did I miss?
1: I think you nailed it. Thanks for being here this week.
2: It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks again.
1: This episode was most excellently produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Capecchione. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you'd like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in our show notes or go to canadaland.com join. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Canada Land.
0: Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.
1: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood.